Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Today we are talking all things House of Cards Season 4. If you have not watched all of House of Cards Season 4, do not keep listening. Or, if you want to, keep listening and have everything spoiled for you. Updates on arts and entertainment. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Hello, welcome to the Wall Street Journal Speakeasy podcast. My name is Mike Ayers. I'm an arts and entertainment reporter here at the Journal. Today we are talking all things House of Cards Season 4. If you haven't seen season four, we wouldn't recommend you keep listening. Today, I'm joined by Ellen Gammerman, who writes about arts and entertainment for the journal, and Rachel Bachman, who writes about fitness and wellness for the journal. Hello. Hey there. So let's get underway. So season four was uh, just came out earlier this month on Netflix, uh, right in the height of a real election. Um, what are y'all's reactions to the, the new season? What were your thoughts of it? Well, I, the the very first thing you have to think is how pale it was in comparison to the actual election going on. I think that almost hurt it at the beginning because it seemed boring compared to the primary season that we were seeing in real life. I know people have been talking about that a little bit. Did you feel that way, Rachel? Yeah, I think so. In fact, I wondered as the actual news events were unfolding in the last six months, what on earth are the creators of House of Cards and Veep going to do to top this? And I think that problem surfaced a little bit in House of Cards. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fairly certain they started writing and shooting like this time last year they were writing it and you know they're shooting over the summer i had lunch with someone who was on the show and uh this was this was in late august and she was she doesn't show up till the middle of the season and she had come up from baltimore to have lunch here in new york i was like oh why are you coming up from baltimore are you shooting house of cards and she said well i might be i'm not allowed to say so when i finally saw her in the in the in the series in the fourth season she was um she came in like around episode six or seven so they had already at least if they shoot in order which i don't know but i would assume they kind of do um they had already banked half the season by by august at that point Mm -hmm. trump was still kind of a he wasn't the the force he is now and Mm -hmm. there was like 19 candidates or gonna be 19 candidates and uh so the craziness hadn't really kicked off and then once it did, they had already, I, th- I think, completed everything. So they kind of uphill battle for them. I mean, Frank seems nice yeah. in a lot of ways. <laughs> Compared. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. One of his early stump speeches was just positively boring compared to what we were seeing in real life. Do you remember that? For I think it might have been in the first episode. Uh, what, what was he talking about? I don't remember. It was so boring. Uh. <laughs> That is a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. And it kind of felt like this this season, maybe compared to the last, it felt like there was a definite uh, first half. There was a, a storyline, an arc of Frank's, his assassination attempt, and, his, and, and Claire's kind of rise to a little bit more power than she's had in the past. You, see, you start to see her aspirations a little bit more. And then once he gets healed, he's healed very quickly, and he recovers very quickly, and that's, uh, that's great for him. He can get back on the on the trail um but then it kind of felt like it it shifted in tone and they just you know introduced this new character will conway and just kind of took off from there like where the first 
half of the season didn't connect so much to the second half as maybe it had in the past. Did you think that, mm-hmm. Rachel? Yeah, I, I think so. And who knows? Maybe that was partly a function of um, the writer starting to react to real events. I, I, I don't know. Um, that that could be. It is interesting how, you know, given given what's happening in our own politics, how quaint some of the things did seem. They've got their work cut out for them. That's for sure. Yeah. And but, but it was it was a little weird the way Heather Dunbar sort of disappears halfway through the season and mm-hmm. some some of the things that had seemed so prominent. I thought, oh, well, this is going to be an election, you know, full on election all the time. And it, it sh- a lot of those elements just completely dropped off. Yeah, that's true. In fact, Nev Campbell's character, I thought, has kind of gone nowhere. I mean, I you know, they introduced her as though she was going to be this sort of catalyst or something and um, or maybe, you know, doing some dirty work. And she's just sort of fizzled out by the end of the season. Yeah. She went the way of Doug Stamper's limp, which also <laughs> disappeared, didn't it? He's been working out, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. He's yeah, much yeah, better. Yeah. In, the, in this world, they seem to have um, very, very nice recovery time. I forgot about Doug Stamper's limp. That, was in, that seemed like it was an important limp. It was major. <laughs> All right, good. Well, something else that was really major was um, you know, the assassination attempt on, on Frank. He was shot by... By Lucas, who got out of prison. Uh, what What did you all think about that? Was that um, did Did they need to do this? Did Did they need to introduce a presidential shooting in a fourth season? Does that feel like an eighth season type plot to you, <laughs> or, or or is this a good? I mean, they only spent like three episodes on it: shot, coma, not coma. Right. All the all the Confederate dreams. Those were. Oh, yeah. I thought that was one of the more interesting parts of the storyline. Actually, these you know so deep seated roots slash fears of Frank Underwood coming to to haunt him. But I, I thought the the that day itself was one of the only times in House of Cards where I could totally they totally telegraphed what was gonna happen. You know, he's talking about how this crowd outside, he's gonna go greet everybody and I, I kinda knew, okay, here comes the shooting. Um, even though I'm not sure how plausible it is a reporter shooting a president. I mean, no, it's you know extenuating circumstances and so on but um but that's my main critique with that scene you just they they set it up i think way too transparently i agree i mean but and also well now i'm not remembering where he got the gun from you know how does a reporter kind of his character just goes so down the toilet that i don't even know i mean i guess it makes sense to have him try to kill a president because everything else bad has happened to him The, the whole season opens with that scene in his prison cell. Right. Remember that one? Right, right. And yeah, then, he's a convicted criminal. How'd he get a gun? Yeah. Get the, get the gun. Oh, I guess that's why the gun bill surfaced, right? When I was watching that scene, it was right around the protests of Trump, mm-hmm. you know, at his mm-hmm. at his rallies. And going back to the, you know, real life mirroring situation, it was, I just found it funny, interesting. I found it something that Frank is like, okay, I'm going to go address these these protesters you know i'm gonna go say hi to them i'm gonna go talk to them because that always happens and uh (laughs) so he was i didn't really get why he was doing that was it like a photo op or was he i mean he's never super genuine but it just it, it seemed just kind of it just seemed like a weird thing and then you're that, hitting the nail on the head. That's the that flaw in the down, scene. It yeah. was out of character. And that's why I think I sensed something going awry because he, Frank Underwood doesn't do that. He's not magnanimous. He doesn't really care what a bunch of undergrads think of him. And so no. it wasn't right. really in character that he would go out and chat with them. And, and no, no president ever really would. 
I mean, like, no, you, you, you can't imagine yeah. him walking up to and trying to change their minds. That's not how people change their minds. <laughs> Generally not. No. All right, good. So um, the shooting was a little questionable. Okay. Um, well, Joel Kenneman as uh, Will Conway, his Republican foe, which he's pretty much the back half of the season. He's a, he's a main character. He's Frank's uh, adversary in many ways. But they're, they're buds as we see them. They're, they're kind of buds at least. Uh, behind the scenes, you know, they, they tolerate each other. They seem to have some sort of history. Uh, they were seen at a cocktail party of some sorts uh, years ago, clinking glasses or shooting selfies, something in that in mm-hmm. that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. What did you all think about him as as the the season four? Uh, I mean, he wasn't really a, a villain per se, but he was he was there to get under Frank's skin for the most part, or at least cause us the viewers to be distracted by him while the real foe was lurking frank's real foe which was um the reporter Hammerschmidt. Hammerschmidt. the yes. hammer coming down the hammer coming <laughs> down that's who he really needed to be obviously extremely worried about but um i don't know what y'all think that that was another one where i thought there were interesting um sort of light parallels with art and life because Conway was sort of not really a protege because they're different political parties, obviously, but he sort of idolized Frank. Um, I mean, in a way, he's sort of like the Marco Rubio of this show. He's this young, dashing guy who's supposed to be the savior, um, but then kind of makes some false steps and overreaches a little bit. And of course, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen to him. And in fact, one way that this is different is he's the front runner. So he's got a lot more traction than the than the real Marco Rubio. But I think I, I like the character and I think um, the best part about him is that he has this young wife and kids and you can tell the Underwoods are very intimidated by that. This is not the tableau that they can present the American public. And when he comes on the scene, it really does feel like almost a different season of House mm-hmm. of Cards. It just the mood changed. A lot of the earlier subplots kind of fizzled away. And I was very interested in him at the beginning. I mean, you can't watch a show like this and and point at everything and say, that's not realistic. Well, of course, it's not realistic. (laughs) But it was, I mean, he he was just like a fun kind of um, weird Hollywood idea of what a candidate would be, you know, sitting in his living room, taking selfies. He was kind of different in a cool way, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I, I was okay with him. It was, but it did it felt like he just kind of was tossed to the audience. If he was the front runner, I feel like they he would have been in constant conversation with Claire and Frank. They would be they would have been talking about him. He would have been on our radar as, as a person to be concerned mm. with dating back into the third season. I would think. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and especially yeah. when we come to find out he's killing it in the polls. Like yeah, he, I know. People love this dude. Where did he come from? So that was my only big problem with him. But other, it was, I guess, just the introduction of the character, yeah. which you all pointed yeah. out. Joel did a, I think he, he, was a, he was a good addition to the cast. I think one of the strong points of this season was they, they got strong people to join. Nev, you know, potentially underutilized, <laughs> she potentially fizzled out. But she's, she kind of, she kind of nailed it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Kim Dickens has been around for a while, and she's she's always strong. But she was barely in it, though. She's barely in it. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the one that I had lunch with. If, oh, if she you was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy that is was kind of like the 
been the uh, secret MVP for me over the last couple seasons has been the guy that plays Petrov. Oh, really? Yeah. I think he's fantastic. He's great. He's he's riveting on screen. I don't know what it is about him. He's good. He gets under Claire's skin. He is, unlike the Frank character, and unlike really a lot of the characters, he's one of the ones that can really, really test her, I feel like, and show, give give a chance for her political brilliance to shine through. Because she's, you know, constantly overshadowed by Frank and the rest of the DC scene who don't believe in her. But, you know, those scenes Mm -hmm. are often uh, very telling about what kind of politician she could be. And I liked that it wasn't the same tone as a lot of her other scenes. My complaint with her this season is that it felt like every line was delivered with the same rhythm in the same tone, which was pretty monotonous. She was so controlled that the problem with watching a really controlled character is they don't let you see much. And so it was those Petrov scenes were good in that way. Like at least she spoke to him in a completely different way than she speaks to anybody else. Yeah. In fact, I think we saw more of her in the Petrov scenes than we saw even in the Tom Yates scenes where she's allegedly falling in love with this guy, oh my this God. author. Um, totally she was not. much more vulnerable with Petrov where you can just see her getting unnerved sitting there. Yeah. Yeah, can we can we talk about their little love affair? We will talk about Tom Yates and um, all things Claire in in a few moments. We're going to take a break. I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Hello, we're back talking all things Season 4 House of Cards today. Helen Gammerman and Rachel Bachman are joining me, Mike Ayers, here at the Journal. House of Cards Season 4 was love in the air. What was going on with the love plots during the season? That was the most comatose love story I've ever seen. Really. I don't know if you felt differently. <laughs> oh, yeah. I Claire, just, are you talking Claire and Tom? Claire and Tom. What? Yeah. I mean, this actor... I'm sure this is how he was directed, but it was just so sleepy. And when um, when Frank, that scene where Frank asks him, uh, you know, do you make her laugh of Claire? And, and Tom, the brilliant writer of Scorpio, says yes. I'm like, I would love to see her laugh. When did that scene yeah. happen? Yeah. And also the world's most awkward breakfast. <laughs> yes. When they all sat down together. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was... Not that surprising, you know, turn because, you know, them and their little Meacham situation of season three, you know, you really got to got to feel at that point that, you know, they're they're like 95 percent business, 5 percent, you know, romance at that point. Um, So things weren't out of bounds. But this was a little different than Frank because Frank does feel a little he does have a, this possessiveness of him. I think it, it surprised me a little when he basically, you know, I guess turned over the keys or gave his blessing, you know, whatever weird that that really weird, uncomfortable conversation he had, which, you know, on the receiving end, if any normal human would be in the president's office and the president of the United States is telling you, you know what, it's totally cool if you <laughs> sleep with my wife, that normal person would probably be in puddles of different body fluids (laughs) on the ground because that's super weird. Tom Yates, cool as a cucumber, he's like, cool, thanks. (laughs) I I, I make her laugh. (laughs) 
See, I took that whole thing as just sort of like, it's not a love story. I don't see it as a love story. Yeah. I see it as Frank and Claire coming to an understanding that this guy is going to basically meet her sexual needs from now on, that they don't want to risk his health and he's busy and maybe she's not that into it anymore. And so he's just taking over that role. And it's almost like they're pretending that it's a love story, but not really. He's feeling a need. I think. But what about that emotional thing that's supposed to happen over her dying mother? And why does her mo- why does her mother like him so much? If I were lying in a bed dying, would I really like a stranger? I, I think know. he is is just sort of innately charming slash manipulative, Tom. And um, she, you know, Claire is taken with him, and his her mom certainly was taken with him. Um, and Did I they- don't know. Maybe that's a cynical viewing, but I I just. I don't know. Um, Claire didn't show me enough to convince me that she's in love with him. Yeah. Especially because she sends, sends him away. Like, you know, she initially sends him away. Oh, like, this can't happen. Yeah. Um, that, di- that didn't speak to me, this, you know, like someone who's in love. Did, did you like his speeches, his brilliant speeches that he writes? I thought that that was risky of the, of the writers to do. Because when you set something up as like, here's a brilliantly written piece of language you know you it's got to be it's got to blow your mind right. even if it's great is it gonna live up to that billing yeah no i don't think it did i was sort of waiting for the fireworks that never went off did they slip in i, I feel like they slipped in that claire's mother was a fan of tom yates do you all remember that oh. like i feel like like she might have been enamored with him so it's kind of like if a if a great author shows up on your deathbed and happens mm-hmm. to be friends with your your child then you might be a little bit more smitten if you were if you were a fan of somebody and they're like coming by and being like, hey, you know. I thought she was just charmed because he showed her kindness and and ironically because he is a stranger because you know Claire's mom seems to despise the people she's closest to. I mean, she, the mm. venom she has for Frank is mm. breathtaking. Mm. Didn't it's she one point say, "I hope he dies"? I hope or, he dies. I mean, mm. wow. Yeah, <laughs> there are like. Marvel villains who don't mm-hmm. say things that mean. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, but she she's not a soft person at all. This mother, no, either. She's so calculating herself. The way she says her death will help Claire's political career. I yeah, mean, th- there was not. It was hard to get a sense of where her kind of emotional core was. Right. Explains a lot about Claire, though. Yeah. We just spent a long time talking about Claire, which kind of is telling in the sense that I think that they're mo- it feels like they're moving the show away from Frank. And, in the, you know, this this season was a very Claire centric season. Robin Wright directed a lot of the episodes. She was in it more than she's ever been. Mm-hmm. Her storyline was, you know, she was always trying to get to the get people to notice her in the past. It felt like she was very accomplished, but in terms of Frank's world, you know, they still saw her as 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 the wife, mm-hmm. as the as the first lady, or you know, ne- next to him. Um, but this season, it felt like she really became front and center. She became a power player. Obviously, you know, she wooed the electorates to get her on the ticket. Um, and I don't know. It, it certainly feels like it's moving into her to being about about her. And if Frank had died, that that wouldn't have been that crazy of a of a twist. No. Yeah. And and the ultimate power play, I think, almost of this whole series was her threatening divorce. 
I mean, imagine if that yeah. happened during a campaign, you know, that she had enormous power that she, you know, wielded like a cudgel. And to me, that was where everything turned. Like, okay, maybe this is really about her. Yeah, I I really like the idea of that. I just, I don't know. She, that character, she's so cold. Like, she is so hard to read, you know? Like, you're yeah. just saying, like, her and love is the exact same facial expression <laughs> as her, like, super angry. At Petrov. As, <laughs> at Petrov. And is the exact same, you know, facial expression as I just had my favorite ice cream cone ever. Right. <laughs> so all the same. She, she's really committed to this Lady Macbeth thing she's got going on. It was so, so Macbethy by the end. <laughs> you know, and she she is like... But one, one question I had is, would Kevin Spacey... I mean, does anyone have... Mike, do you happen to know what his... Relate is he an executive producer of the show? Would he be okay with being killed off? I guess I mean, he's an he's an actor. It's in service of the story. I'm sure he wouldn't he wouldn't mind. But I don't know. He's a he yeah he's on the production side you know or listed as a executive producer. Um, you know I you know Robin Wright is you know heavily involved in in it as we were just saying. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, you know they had the chance this season to to do that. Um, they didn't. You know I think. You know, on a pure just, you know, Netflix level, he is the face of the show. You know, their ad campaign this 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 season and all seasons has revolved around Underwood. You know, you walk out of Penn Station right now, right above one of the buildings on 7th Avenue here in New York. There's a huge Underwood 2016 sign billboard with mm-hmm. him there. And, you know, so he's very much... The face of that show it would be great if he didn't become the face of the show and they switched it i think you know that would be a very powerful thing a very powerful plot twist and you know just as uh you know getting people interested in the show and having robin wright be the new face of it with maybe a limping doug stamper <laughs> in the background that that would I would like to see him do it. It would it would be interesting. Yeah. Sure. I, I think that's an end game type development. I think you're yeah. right. He's the face. Um, he you can't kill him off until the, you know Second the show is essentially episode. settled. Yeah. yeah. Do, do we know if next season's last season? We don't know. Um, they have the, the original creator, Bo Willeman, is not going to be involved in the show anymore. He has departed. So it's going to be two new producer, two producers that have been working on the show. They were on the credits for the past couple seasons. They're taking over as the bosses. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it definitely has at least one more season in it. You know, I kind of think that it should kind of it should stop after five. We're kind of getting to a point where the arc is you know as we we're just saying like claire's kind of overtaking and frank's power is dwindling and no one's afraid of him the reporter mm-hmm. the hammer mm-hmm. he's not afraid yeah. of him you know will conway's not afraid of him claire's not afraid like the people that used to be afraid of this man they're not they're not afraid of him anymore and so maybe maybe he'll he'll fade out I, even even remy and jackie Right? Went yeah. on the record. Exactly. On the record. Yeah. And I, one of my favorite moments from him actually was in the 
um, the season finale where the whole everything's crashing down on him and the stories come out and he just he's sitting in that um, in that room in the White House where they shoot a lot of the scenes with that like sort of giant half circular window and he's he just is so you see him be hopeless and weak in a way that you haven't seen him at all and it was such a contrast it was really striking did you guys feel that way yeah that was really the um sort of the come to jesus moment it was like okay am i going to survive this kind of thing and actually clara was the one who said yes we will we'll terrorize them (laughs) speaking of terrorizing and uh claire and frank the, the the final two episodes i felt they went by pretty fast um, they some a much quicker pacing than the the previous four or five, and uh, that was due to the the hostage situation, which was a little strange in that it was homegrown terror. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't. Well, I guess we haven't really seen anything as extreme like that. They're combining, uh, you know, the the overseas type beheading situation and broadcasting it. And uh, but here in the States and, you know, I guess that was I guess that was probably the point, you know, Mm -hmm. bringing up of what if this did happen Mm -hmm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that that kind of finished off the season. What do you all think? I thought the very last scene, you know, what they leave you with was really powerful. I found myself questioning with so much violence today if the whole country even would be riveted by three hostages. Um, But. I guess, you know, a beheading on U.S. soil is pretty bad broadcast. Yeah, it would be live. awful. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I mean, it was, a, it was a very awful thing they imagined that is not far out of reach. You right. know, things things like that do happen. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, is, you know, after it was all said and done, the last scene that we were we were left with was Frank and Claire looking into the camera. And Frank says something to the effects of, you know, we don't submit to terror. We make terror. And it was, you know, that was the cliffhanger line. And it, it kind of raised the question that, you know, did they orchestrate this hostage situation right. for their own political gain? Because you kind of realized through a few a few things Frank uttered that they were in it was around October that this was happening because mm. he said like I, I believe he said something like this was you know the election is three weeks away mm-hmm. or maybe Claire mm-hmm. said that mm-hmm. to him you know what are we going to do you know and um, so this was like I guess the October surprise and mm. you know I guess if you would think that they orchestrated this they were they were behind it you know that would you know rile everybody to i guess you know not change a political course and vote vote for them i don't know that was just one thought that i had i had the same thought that they orchestrated yeah actually hired these guys to carry this out yeah Yeah. that's well certainly uh in their makeup scarily and they were desperate enough to do something that horrible um and they even come out as heroes a little bit because they Mm -hmm. save the wife and daughter Mm -hmm. so there's sort of like the sigh of relief combined with the continued terror of the populace yeah did you didn't think that You know, honestly, it didn't occur to me. But Mm. what did occur to me is that Frank purposely let the father die, knowing that that would heighten the terror among people and make them less likely to want to 
switch gears in the presidential race. Um, and Which just, is why he said we and that's why, yeah. why we make terror, because he right. blatantly he said, you know, you know, broadcast it to everybody. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to watch it, you know, hang up on them. You know, he was very like like he he had a plan. The audience wasn't fully let into what that plan was. And uh, but everything is for them to keep their seat. Mm-hmm. So in some way it, it was it had to have been for for them to remain on top. Now, whether or not that would translate into them remaining on top, I don't know. Will Conway, he is good looking. He is <laughs> he an army vet. Exactly. You and know, he's got he's a tall. general by his side, although the general seems dissatisfied with his decision making. So that's social another, media is yeah. transparent. Like that's all very attractive <laughs> to, to young voters. His um, son mm-hmm. almost slept in the Lincoln bedroom. That's like, right. They had a sleepover. Yeah. At the, that happens all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. With but your, I'm, your I'm, opponent. I'm so glad that they didn't hurt the little kids that um, Will Conway's kids. I felt like, you know, there was so much tension in the air. I was like, what are they going to do? They're going to hurt the kids now. So at least they didn't go there. Yeah, that's true. So season five, what would we like to see? Ideally, in the perfect House of Cards world, where would this go? I would like to see Claire essentially become Frank Underwood. I'd like to see her assert herself and maybe even plot his assassination. Whoa. Yeah, plotting her, like having... Plotting his assassination. Yes. That How is... else do you become president, right? Yeah. I mean... But he's already been almost assassinated. True, but if you're her, are you going to become president running on your own? Although in real life, look what's happening. Hillary Clinton is close to being elected. But yeah, I mean, she's right there, right? She's like a few breaths away. And do we really know if she loves Frank? We don't know. It would also be a perfect, that'd be a perfect way to go out as in like, you know, he got a taste of his own medicine on on how he got the, how he got there. Like it came back to bid him by his closest, you know, confidant and, and ally. Yeah. Who basically just, he groomed quietly to become a worse slash better version of him. That'd be amazing. I, I just want, next season, I just want more of that guy dancing without his shirt on. Do you remember oh, that yeah, guy? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the data The data guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't remember that. Um, but uh, he's, he's their special guy who's like doing all their eavesdropping. Uh, right. He's, okay. the he's like, he's the, like the NSA times, you know, mm. 10 or whatever. Yeah. That was one of my favorite truly bizarre moments from the season. Yeah, that was sort of like out of the big short or something. It was kind of like, <laughs> here's this lunatic who's really like going to terrorize us or is, you know, unbeknownst yeah. to us. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us on the Wall Street Journal Speakeasy podcast. We've been talking all things House of Cards. Check out more Speakeasy podcasts at the WSJ podcast page and come back and see us soon. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.